is the real bad dudes cast. Which I want to introduce a new thing where we review episodes of any anthology show, you know, so. It's anthology time. Today, myself, Ragekill, and Wolfman are going to be taking a look at Vanishing Act. Episode 21 of Season 2 of The Outer Limits Reimagining. This is a time travel episode, one with a rather interesting slash hard SF twist to it. Essentially, it stars one John Cryer, who I never heard of outside of this particular episode, but evidently is a famous actor. He plays the character Trevor McPhee. The bit... The episode begins in 1950. Trevor McPhee is sitting with his wife, and he's basically lamenting not having a lot of money, and he basically just says, you know what, screw it, I'm gonna go out and get some champagne because we're gonna actually celebrate, goddammit. So he drives out to go get some champagne, only to get sucked up by aliens. It's just a quick flash, and then he wakes up in his rusted-out car. Because this is a time travel episode. And there are some aliens that keep trawling him 10 years into the future. Basically, he only ex he only experiences about three or four days in the episode. But for the rest of the world, it's about 40 years. And the whole crux of the episode is him dealing with the time changes. And the rest of the characters try to figure out why he's traveling into the future. Yeah. Yep. Now, the sad thing is, is I almost, when you were like, and he just does this, I almost blurted out, it's just a jump to the left. <laughs> you want to go, Ragey? Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, he... Reginald. So, <laughs> he goes talk to his wife. She's like, where have you been? And he's like, um... I Up your ass. Out. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> God, this episode kind of ended up being a little deep. Uh oh. let on how quickly time can pass, you know, missing on events. I mean, it really sucks for him because, you know, like, just missing out on all these events and stuff. And then it kind of makes you think of, at least I kind of thought of my own life. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm this age and there's so much stuff I haven't done yet. I don't know. This episode kind of just hit home in a way. It was just like, oh, my God, how quick stuff's going by for him. You know. Yeah, I think this is sort of like a parable of that concept that uh, when you're not paying attention, time can indeed leave you behind. And uh, I think it's a very mature episode. It's not particularly campy. Uh, the acting is quite well done all around. Uh, John Cryer actually puts in a great performance. Now, evidently, he's some sort of comedic actor. Uh, well known for the Two and a Half Men television series. I've never actually seen that show, so I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. Now, overall, the char the side characters are handled quite well, and there's a, there's a number of nice little details in the background uh, that will become more important as the episode progresses. The wife character is, of course, uh, very maturely done. She's not really annoying. She's not really dumb. She's not really passive. Uh... John Cryer's character can, of course, really, really picks up on a lot of the stuff pretty fast. It's kind of reminded me of like the last half of the movie Click. Yeah, there is a bit to that as well. Not that anyone remembers Click these days. <laughs> uh, one thing that I particularly liked a great deal was uh, there's a character introduced at the very beginning of the episode, that picks up uh, the John Cryer character after he initially makes his first trip through time. He's uh, driving a pickup truck and has a bunch of comic books in his uh, in the cab of the truck. 
and he seems like a fairly nice guy. And then eventually, as the timeline progresses, he ends up marrying the uh, Cryer character's wife. But instead of them being at odds against each other, this is something I really like because TV really does not get relationships right. They really make them very infantile, uh, very shallow in many respects. But that character actually befriends the Cryer character and actually tries to help him out uh, to stop him from trawling through time. And I thought that was really quite touching. The whole episode was actually kind of touching in many instances. Right. Uh, it's actually kind of an interesting thing to note, though, is it's one of those uh, episodes and one of those time travel things where the further you get away from the 1950s, the crappier everything is. <laughs> That's kind of scary. Although I think today, depending on where you live, we've kind of reconverged with a much more cleaner time than the uh, 80s and early 90s was. <laughs> it's kind of funny because they definitely went to the Back to the Future school of uh, aging his wife, but they had to do it for theatrics, obviously. Uh, when it comes to age makeup, there's only so much you can actually do, uh, especially on a TV show budget. And one of the big problems with aging, though, is uh, old people don't necessarily look that bad. You know, some people actually age a lot better, but they right. got to be. But they got to get the point across, though. It's like this person is older. If they look kind of the same, it's kind of like with Patrick Stewart. <laughs> they, if you they, said they came from the fifties, it's from chain smoking and whatnot. <laughs> I guess you could say that, but it's kind of like with Patrick Stewart. You know, if you took Patrick Stewart from nineteen eighty two and transported him into two thousand and twenty two, he'd look pretty much the same. Unfortunately, it's like wait, um, he's from the past. I was glad this had a happy ending because I thought, I thought they were gonna go the route where he was just screwed, and he'd end up going to like the grave of his wife and son. And that could easily have happened. Uh, for those who have never seen an episode of The Outer Limits, the reimagined version is very, shall we say, dark. Most most episodes have a sad ending, but with this one, uh, by the time he makes it to the 1990s, one of the scenes that I remember that kind of fondly is. Uh, during one of his time travel episodes, he actually time travels in a bathroom, and so he wakes up in uh, the 1980s, and it's a nightclub, and the first thing he sees in the 80s is somebody snorting coke. <laughs> uh, Sounds about right. And one of my favorite lines, though, is from his son, because he ends up having a, he ends up fathering a son, but it's the other guy who actually ends up raising him. And so he walks out. Right. In the, <laughs> and so he walks out into the nightclub, and the son comes in, and the, the guy that got to play the son looks a lot like John Cryer, and even kind of sounds like him, too. Right. And he ends up growing a, a mustache just like him, but uh, he comes out, and it's like, it's the 1980s. I kind of, for some reason, I remembered him, like, dancing around and, and with an 80s dance, but he doesn't actually do that. In the, uh, I thought the 70s was more hilarious, because when he leaves, like, do the hustle! Do, 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 do. Yeah, but that's a confusing thing, though. Since it's 1980, they're still playing that's not yet dead. So it can confuse you, but the son actually does say it's the 1980s. Yeah, but they did play that type of shit in the discos. And uh, I, I, I really found Do the Hustle quite funny as well. I mean, well, <laughs> you know what's funny, though? They still kind of play that. Or at least when I was a kid, they still played that. Right. Wolfman, what are your thoughts on this episode? My thoughts on the episode is kind of like what, uh, you know, what Lot said. This was pretty dark. This series, I, I used to call it um, uh, 
the outer tales from the crypt because of how dark it was yeah. you know i mean like this had some serious serious shit to it and this particular episode in and of itself uh the whole thing behind the episode was to just show that time is fleeting and no matter what path you are on it, it can anything can change in a second and and that, that's pretty much what it went to explore i thought it was a pretty good episode and the, the makeup work was pretty well done the acting was great as well and i mean it's pretty much a real staple for the show in and of itself i mean let's face it after the twilight zone the original twilight zone went off the air after rod sterling died you weren't going to get another show like this and it was the same thing with alfred hitchcock's presents once he died you weren't going to find something like that anymore outer limits at least tried and that, that it was a nice way to fill the void it, it was um to me outer limits was like something that like kids who grew up on are you afraid of the dark they grew up and then when they were teenagers they watched the outer limits couldn't have said it better what's myself. What's actually kind of amusing, though, is uh, it must have been fairly advanced as a kid because I watched that. I never, I never watched Are You Afraid of the Dark because I thought it was lame. But Outer Limits, I watched it all the time. So yeah, no. Are You Afraid of the Dark was the shit. Yeah, there's some episodes that are cheesy, but there's actually some really good, well done episodes of that show. As a kid, I just couldn't get into it. Uh, that was a Nickelodeon thing, right? Oh yeah, Nickelodeon was like the thing to do. It, it, this is the spoiler part, but for those of you who don't watch the episode, we'll tell you how it actually ends. Uh, now, ultimately, what ended up happening to the guy, it's uh, actually a hard science fiction concept of wormholes. It Basically, what you got is an alien. Uh, it that, was like, wormholes from alien worms. <laughs> yes, pretty much. It's like non-evil ghouls, and they use wormholes to travel through space and time. And like with the prophets from Deep Space Nine, they don't have a linear existence. John Cryer is of Bajor. And so, of course, you know, it's like once it's explained to them, like, wait, you know, we got time. We don't know how the ball game ends. And uh, that's like, oh, shit. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll send it back. And he gets sent back. Now, there are some unfortunate implications, as is always the case when it comes to time travel. Uh for him, it's only been a couple of days, so it's not that big of an adjustment. However, the kid will not exist because <laughs> the kid was brought about because of time travel. All he has to do is uh, on the calendar, you know. Yeah, but he's not going to do that, though. He's make Whoopi with wife to create son. He's probably not going to remember that, and it's probably not going to because with all the change, remember he's got ten years. He's got ten years. He's got his life back, so he's not going to be trolled for ten years, and he's probably not going to do the same thing unless he's like it's been kind of hard to explain no we cannot have sex but once every 10 years it's not gonna work he's not fucking spock but the fact is you know uh, the kid's not gonna exist or at least not in that form uh the life and it was a long life too between the wife and the other character uh that's not gonna happen <laughs> it's just not gonna happen you know and there's no way to know what's gonna happen to that guy well, but that's the problem with time yeah. travel. You never really know what the changes are all going to be. Well, between and 1980 and 1990, she learned psychology to uh, try and save him. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen. I this, whatever. Yeah. It was some sort of made-up psychology that, that doesn't exist. But uh, the fact is, you know, the timeline is completely different. Anytime you change one event, you never know. And I think that's one of the things that the TV show is trying to explain as well. Like, don't worry about small events because you don't know that if you change one, it might actually get worse. Mm. Because, like, 
the, the three of us meeting were all by chance. You know, you changed one event. We don't meet. You know, you, uh, Rage Kill and I met because I uh, played a game of Duke Nukem 3D on Steam with him, and then Wolfman and Rage met from a Friday the 13th game. So imagine that, if you will. Like, what if Friday the 13th had never been made? What if you hadn't been on that night? What if you'd chosen to not speak that night? That's the big oh. question, yeah. It's like, all these events are interconnected in time! Better collect the clocks. in time! Oh, sorry. You, you, got, you gotta run around and collect clocks, otherwise um, the, the time will break. What's so, the little girl? Well, the, 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 the closing narration of the episode was really good. It was like, life is, at best, an uncertain path. Perhaps we should be grateful with what we have, for even these riches may disappear along the way. You so fucking read that. You didn't even memorize the episode, you bastard. <laughs> well, you know what? It still worked. It's true. Okay, so, at the end of the day, uh, I fully wholeheartedly recommend this episode. This is a good starting point for Outer Limits. Most of the Outer Limits episodes are not inter interconnected in any way. Some are, and they make sort of like broad-based story arcs, but this one is just, you can jump right into it. You don't need any prior continuity whatsoever. And it is definitely well worth watching. I hadn't seen this episode in at least five years, and then five years before that viewing, I hadn't seen it in about 20. So it had still stuck with me. Hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. I'd say to... Uh... Any viewers that haven't seen the 90s or limits, I would say if you've at least watched uh, Black Mirror, then yeah, you'll definitely dig uh, 90s or limits. And if you've only seen 90s or limits, uh, you definitely dig Black Mirror. I think they're both sort of have a lot of similar kind of sort of beats to them. Um, but yeah, this episode was great. Um, and you know, it's an episode that makes you think and which is what good sci-fi should do. So, yeah, check it out. Wolfman. Excellent episode. It's definitely, I mean, it's worth watching the whole series if you're into that sort of thing. If you're, if you're into weird shit like Twilight Zone or, you know, like I said, uh, Tales from the Crypt, anything like that, or Alfred Hitchcock movies even, any, any, anything in that range, it's worth checking out because they're done pretty well. These were done very competently. And at the very least for this series, The Outer Limits especially, it's structured in a way where you don't have to watch the entire show to get what's going on. Uh, you, you can pick up any episode at any time and get into it. And I mean, it's... I, I wouldn't necessarily say that this episode is like leaps and bounds ahead of other episodes because they're all done very well. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I would say I recommend the whole series if you're into that sort of thing. And so, I am General Lutz, wishing you good Outer Limits and good um, monsters. Just don't look. Just don't look. <laughs> or whatever makes you happy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, no, it's just the way that, that the Lutz okay. said monsters. Were you I know, it's just like, it, he's like, it's said, monsters. Yeah, he said monsters. Are you talking about that, that weird anthology one I was telling you about the other day? Yes, that, that popped into my mind. So, <laughs> Just don't look. Just don't look. Yeah, I, there was some mo like anthology show about monsters called well monsters, I think. And all I can remember from it is the intro because I used to watch it as a kid. And I shared the intro with lots, and it was it was like terrible acting and people wearing monster makeup. Like, it sounds an alright. Almost on. And that concludes the first episode of 
anthology time. Here is a uh, bonus clip of us talking about Nickelodeon in the 90s. When um, when I was a kid, like everybody went home and watched Nickelodeon. Same here. There was Clarissa Explains It All. There was Eureka's Castle. Then you had Hey Dude. And then you had um, Salute Your Shorts. You got to fit in some uh, Double Dare at some point. Uh, we had an awesome lineup on TV back in the day. I guess by the time the 90s rolled around, when I was a kid, they didn't really have all that. Because to be honest, I was much more into Cartoon Network, much less into the uh, kid programming that yeah, had. Yeah, on, on your end, when you were growing up, you, you definitely had Cartoon Network. And you had shit like Dexter's Laboratory and Powerpuff Girls. You know, the, the Samurai, what, what the fuck ever. And, Samurai and it's, Hank. It's the whole notion of time and how it passes you by. It was the same thing with when the Cartoon Network generation got big. When I saw Johnny Bravo, I'm like, what the fuck is this nonsense? You know, and meanwhile, I'm 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 tuning in to Yippee Tai Yay Yay and then watching those arcade games, those game shows where they played video games and the kids sucked ass, and you're just sitting there going, What the fuck is wrong with you? I can play Galaga better than that. You know, it, it's just it it's that that's the point of the time right there, and how it passes you by, and it, it especially shines through in, with like with the episode when he's going through all the different eras and nothing makes sense to him. That's how I felt. Yeah, I can I can feel that way. But then again, uh, for me, you know, I always kind of stuck with what I liked. So it's like when the kids got the new crap, I just turned off the uh, TV. I'm reminded of something hilarious my grandfather ha- has said over the years. When the mm. Beatles came on, I turned the radio off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's because you you gotta, you know, make room for the Rolling Stones, man. 